of routine. We keep our schedules, we do our jobs, we stay in our own lanes. But sometimes our routines become ruts and we miss God. It takes something big, something extraordinary to get our attention, to wake us up, to make us see beyond ourselves and notice what God is up to. In the book of Acts, we see God do just that, something big and extraordinary. He established and unleashed the church. With just a handful of emboldened eyewitnesses and a story of good news, God forever changed the world. He did more than anyone could have imagined, and he still does today. So don't miss it. Let's open our eyes and see God do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So true. God's vision was much bigger and expansive than those early believers in the book of Acts could understand, and it's true for us today. God's plan not only impacts impacted their city but and their country but literally the world and the same is true for us God intended then to change the world because the good news was for everyone and that is still true this day for many of you you love this season when we put the flags up these flags represent the different places that we support mission work a little test afterwards see if you can name all the flags I'll give you the cheat though David Laxton who puts those up for us has a little card on them so if you're looking at one you're saying man I cannot figure out what in the world that flag is just walk by it a minute you can see the little little card there but it is impressive how many different places this congregation is involved in mission efforts God has blessed us in such a way as we can try to be a blessing in the world as well. Those flags come up just before Commission Sunday, which is next Sunday, and I hope you are prayerfully considering how you can participate because all that's given next Sunday goes to help fund these mission efforts we're committed to. And, um, and that's about three times our normal contribution, from the th- and uh, so hopefully you'll come ready to give as well. I love this time of year. I'm just amazed at all that God can do and is doing. It was true in the book of Acts, and it's true today. So in our study in this series, Immeasurably More in the book of Acts, we've been encouraging each other to pray this prayer in some form or fashion every day, every week of our lives. God, help us to dare to imagine what you can do and give us the faith to see it when you do it. I love hearing that as people pray during the week. And I love to see God answering that prayer in our lives because he can do immeasurably more. It's really quite unbelievable all that God can do. And that's been the case all throughout time. It was seen when God, God has worked in this world, God is working in this world, and he will continue to work in this world in unbelievable ways. Now, there's a lot of things in life that truly are Unbelievable. I mean, just do a search on unbelievable facts, and you're going to find things like the most pizzas made in one hour. By the way, it's 1,369. Why? I have no idea. The, the fastest time to eat a 12-inch pizza, 26, 23 seconds, 23.62 seconds. Yep. Why? Okay. The loudest snore... 92.9 decibels, which is louder than a motorcycle. At least that's what my wife tells me. <laughs> Just kidding on that, but that's a pretty loud snore. Lots of things. The largest rubber duck collection? Over 10,000. Unbelievable. Who cares? I mean, why? But there are some mind-boggling facts. But today we want to talk about things that blow our minds that is true, how God worked in this world. And God has been and continues and will continue to work in this world. 
One of the ways he works is through youth ministry. I don't know if you know this, but in Churches of Christ, youth ministry began in the, about the middle of last century. So around 1950, 60, 70, that's when Churches of Christ first introduced youth ministry. And here at the Edmund Congregation, we have always been early in trying to adopt things that help us better reach out to our members, our kids, and our community. And so very early in that process of, of uh, youth ministry, we added a youth minister. Any idea who our first youth minister at Edmund was? The year was 1970, and it was Ken Helterbrand. I bet they could sing properly. <laughs> He was our first. We've had lots over the years. Here's just a few of them, from John Maple to, Ed, to Bob Utley and Paul Whitmire, and many of us can remember these, these wonderful guys who worked in that. And then after Paul, a guy came, Randy Roper came along in 1994, was our youth minister for seven years, and he, he really, um, I mean, many of you parents out there had Randy as your youth minister, and you know we'd come through a challenging time in our youth ministry, and Randy really brought stability to that. Then following Randy, Jake Perkins, an outstanding man of God who was such a blessing in so many ways. We've, youth ministry's been a, a part of this congregation a long time. Do you remember when, uh, many of you might remember, we used to go to a, a youth mission trip to Leadville, Colorado, but we've been going to Pacha Springs what feels like forever. Would you agree we've been going to Poncho Springs forever? Does it feel like that to many of you? Let me just tell you that on our first Poncho Springs mission trip, one of the interns was Jeremy Robertson. So if it feels like we've been going to Poncho Springs forever, then it feels like Jeremy Robertson's been our youth minister forever. He has been a youth minister here for 13 years. You know, they say youth ministry years are like dog years. If so, Jeremy's been our youth minister longer than Churches of Christ have had youth ministry. <laughs> so you wonder what happens to a person after 13 years of youth ministry? Well, let me just show you a picture of Jeremy on, on one of his first spring break mission trips here at Edmond. There's Jeremy. Let me show you a picture of Jeremy after 13 years of youth ministry on his last spring break mission trip. Just to make the point again, first spring break mission trip as a youth minister. There he is with Kelly, his co-worker then, last trip. The co-workers changed, but, I mean, come on. You know, I don't even know what to say about that picture. <laughs> so, so let me just say, thanks, Jeremy and Ashley. For 13 years, wow, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And, yeah, thanks, youth group. Lead it on. Let me just also add, if you'd like to, tonight after our meal for Sunday night for the Master and Devotional, the youth group is going to show their appreciation for those 13 years of youth ministry, and we're all invited. It's in room 206. But not only to thank him for those 13 years, but to, to bless him and uh, support him as he begins his work with, with, youth ministry, with family life ministry here at Edmond. You know, but bottom line is, all through life, God's working is so obvious. History shows us the hand and the heart of God in unbelievable ways. And we want that to be the focus of our message today as we turn to Acts 13. And this is a special message by the Apostle Paul. Paul's been on a missionary journey himself, 
and all the places that he goes to are, filled, are, are real, and the people there are very special to him. He finds himself in Pisidian Antioch, and as was often his custom on Sabbath, he would go into the synagogue and, and speak. The synagogue was a, a place where the Jewish people would gather. It was a, usually a fairly simple room in most of these places. And uh, in the center, there would be a raised-up area where, where they would have the Torah or the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. And when they would gather, someone would speak and read from the Torah. Their worship was mostly centered around scripture reading, uh, somebody talking about that scripture and explaining it, times in prayer. They would meet every Sabbath and also on some special days. They had a leadership system. The rabbis were definitely a part of that. They would come and expound upon those scriptures often. But they also let others participate in that. It was very common for someone to stand up and, and read or maybe lead in the prayer or give a word of exhortation. And so with Paul and Barnabas there, it was very natural for the leaders to ask Paul or Barnabas if they'd have something to say. It's pretty obvious that, that their reputation probably had gone before them. Paul was very well known in the Jewish circles and was recognized as being a very highly educated person. And so they're invited to share a word, and Paul did not hesitate. He, was, he immediately stood up, and with the, I love how the text said it, motioned with his hands. In the replay room in heaven, I just want to know what that looks like. How did he get? But what he's doing is he's trying to gather in all the people there. He's trying to say how all present today, here's a message I believe, from God to, to you. And I think whatever that was then, I would say today he would want the same. I think God has a message for his people today. In, in that day and time, it was his fellow Israelites, the, the chosen, the children of Israel. But not just them, in that room, there would have been Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles who had come together to worship God. And he says, listen to me. And he's got a powerful point he needs to make, but he's going to show through history in retrospect He's, he's going to use that to make the point he wants to make. So he starts with a little bit of a history lesson. He talks about how God chose the Israelites. He chose their ancestors. And he blessed them, even during their stay in Egypt. And yet when they became, slave, slave, it became enslaved there, he led them out through his mighty power. And even as they were unthankful and ungrateful in the wilderness... He remained their God. He stayed with them and endured their conduct. He went on to overthrow seven nations in Canaan. God's working in that. He did that on their behalf so that they could have the land he promised. And then Paul says all this took about 450 years. All I have to say is Paul just covered 450 years in one sentence. Don't you wish I'd go that fast? <laughs> but he is trying to show, his point is in retrospect, in history, God was at work. Don't miss God working. But he keeps the story going. After that, he gave you judges. And then after the judges, he, he had the prophets. And then when Samuel was prophet, you decided you wanted to have a king. And so he gave you King Saul, who served for 40 years. Didn't go so well. But after Saul, was re, he replaced Saul with David. Now, all of a sudden, they, there's, their ears perk up. David was very special to the to the Jewish nation and he was an incredible king he was he was somebody they revered God says this about him 
I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Well, I have to admit, I, I want to be a little bit more like King David too. A man whose heart is following God. One who does what God asks us to do. Don't you want to be that person? And quite frankly, they knew the story of David as well, and you might as well. And doesn't it give us a little bit of hope that we could be people after God's own heart? And so he brought David, who they revered, and lifted up. But that was not the pinnacle. That's not what he was aiming for. He continues, from this man's descendant, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. And his, po his point was to point towards history, to, to Jesus. How history is pointing towards the coming of Jesus. That's what God promised, and that's what God has now made happen. That's what God's, been, God's work has been pointing to, the Messiah who came. Then he continues on, and when Jesus arrived, some people didn't even recognize it. He uses John, John the Baptist, as an example, and who had, had preached repentance and baptism. And yet, John was even quoted as saying, who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John recognized that Jesus was something special. I mean, in a whole different league, something totally different. And so Paul continues on, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles. He motions his hands again. He brings them all in. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. God's hand has been working all through history to get to this point where we have this message of salvation that's been sent. But don't be surprised if many people don't get it or think it unbelievable. Even the people of Jerusalem and the rulers at the time didn't recognize Jesus. They were so hung up on prophecy, on history, that they failed to see the Messiah when he showed up. And instead, they condemned him. And in so doing, they fulfilled the very words of prophecy that, are read, that were read every Sabbath in a room just like the room Paul was speaking in. They read about this Jesus, but when he came, they did not see him. And even though he had done no wrong and they could find no fault in him, that did not stop them from condemning him and asking Pilate to execute him. And when, they, when he was dead on that cross, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb, dead and done, finished and over with. Here's the facts. They didn't believe in Jesus so they killed him, and they buried him, and expected him to die. But now the unbelievable part. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. I can't believe. Listen, many saw him. Those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, they are now his witnesses to our people. There are eyewitnesses to this fact that God raised him from the dead. You didn't believe, you killed him, you buried him, but you could not keep him in a tomb. God raised him from the dead. Therefore, Paul has a message. 
We're here, he says, I'm here today to tell you some good news. And the good news is the Messiah didn't stay in the, in the grave. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Jesus is now alive. And to make sure you get the point, he quotes Psalm. Here's what Paul says in quoting Psalm. You are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessing promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. God's not going to stay in the grave. He's known it all along. He knew you were going to kill him. You'd fulfill prophecy in doing it. But he is not going to decay on this earth. He is going to be risen. Now, the Jewish people of that time, they lifted up David. And they looked at him. And so in, in verse 36, Paul mentions this powerful little statement. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. I mean, they held David in the highest of esteem, and, and, and rightly so. In fact, when I die, I hope something like this could be said about me. When Kent Risley had served, God, served God's purpose in his, in his generation, he was done. He died. I mean, when I'm done, I'm ready to be done. I think it's a powerful statement, but that's not the point he's, he's making. It is that God, David served God, but he died and his body decayed. Just to make sure you, you get the point, let me read this text out of the New Living Translation. Here's how they translate it. And he's, he's referring to this psalm passage. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. So the psalm quote is not about David. It's about Jesus and what changed there. And because Jesus' body did not decay, oh yes, when you're on, on pilgrimage, when you're on vacation, you can go to the tomb of David and have your picture made and buy some souvenirs. But if you want to go to the tomb of Jesus, you're not going to find Jesus. You can go inside because there's nothing there. There is a difference. And because of that, verse 38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Because of Jesus living that perfect life and being condemned and dying on the cross, and because God raised him from the dead, things changed. Forgiveness of sins is possible. We can be set free from every sin. Things are now different. We can be justified with God. I mean, any of you who've lived long enough to understand that what sin means, I mean, sin is doing a wrong that you cannot, I mean, you can't correct it. There's, you cannot have a per perfect sin. How many sins to stop being perfect? One, and there's no way in my life I can become justified with God again, perfect, like Jesus. So how can I get that forgiveness to be right with God again? Is it a sacrifice of an animal? Is, is it keeping the Ten Commandments? I mean, they all knew that they couldn't even do that. It is through Jesus that we justify. God did that through Jesus. That's the good news and the hand of God has been working from the creation of time for that purpose. 
for that good news then and now. And so he wanted people to see that hand of God. Psalm 136 puts it this way, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. The hand of God has always been at work and continues at work. And it was nowhere seen more clearly than when his arms were outstretched on the, on the cross. History is just God's story of love for us and how he cares. Retrospect shows us that God is at work even this early church, in the, in the book of Acts, in Acts 4, verse 30, it, it mentions a prayer that those early Christians oftentimes prayed. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They wanted God to work in this world. They wanted the hand of God to be seen. And Acts is full of inst instances of God's hand working through the apostles in that early church. But it's just not God's hand that they have working that they've seen all through history and even in their day. They can also witness the heart of God through each of this as well. John 3.16 says it beautifully. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's heart has been revealed all through time. His unwavering love and compassion for the people he created for humanity that story is clearly seen in the, the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 where he takes his inheritance uh, and he's ungrateful and he goes and wastes it all and when he has nothing left in humility he comes back expecting to judgment. Instead the father runs to him and loves on him, brings him back into the family, accepts him with love and forgiveness. I mean that story just shows us the depth of love and compassion that God has for his people. And that heart of God is seen all through life. In Hosea chapter, 14, chapter 11, the first four verses are a beautiful little story of what we've just been talking about. And you can read all those verses, but it's one of the main messages of Hosea, that God's enduring love and, is there and his desire to be reconciled with his people. Now, Hosea is talking about his people, the children of Israel, but I think it speaks to his children even this day. It talks of how God guided them through those wilderness wanderings, even when they were wayward, and how he loved them and cared for them. He led them with, he provided for them with manna in the desert or water from a rock or a pillar to guide them by day and night. God's deep love and compassion and care for his children is so obvious. And then he gets to verse 4 in Hosea 11, and I love this little passage. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts up a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Hosea is talking about this in the context of the wilderness wandering and the children of Israel, how they wander away from God continually. So if you found yourself wandering from God, not being the child that you should be, this is how God views you and relates to you and to me. I mean, in that wilderness wanderings, he didn't force them to go. He didn't tie them to a string or a rope and enslave them and force them to go. Instead, he guided them with cords of human kindness, with ties. He tied himself to them with bonds of love. And then these other two beautiful images to them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. 
Isn't that a beautiful image? I hope you have young children as a part of your life. And if, if they're just a memory in the past, but you remember what it's like, though, to pick up a little child who you know and, and knows you and they're very comfortable with you. And to pick up that child you love and hold them tight and to snuggle with them. Go cheek to cheek with them. There's nothing like the, 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 a baby's cheek rubbing right next to a, an adult or a parent or a grandparent. I mean, don't you just love that? There's no feeling like that in the world. And, and how they could not sense your love for them in that moment, it's impossible. Um, for some of you guys, rubbing cheek to cheek to you looks like it might be a painful uh, ordeal. Or five o'clock in the day, your, your baby or your little child that you're cheek to cheek with might say, ouch, ouch, but they say it with a giggle usually. But they are feeling the love and compassion that you have. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us, his children, is to pick us up and hold us dear to him, cheek to cheek, that intimate, close relationship with his children. And he goes on to say, and I bent down to feed them. Wow, another beautiful example of how God meets the needs of his children. I mean, in the, in the wilderness, he literally fed them. And how an adult will, will get on a child's level to feed them. <laughs> it's, not, it's not you have to get to my level. If you want to get food, jump, and maybe you can have it. That only happens at zoos with seals. But no, with, he gets on their level, and he feeds them. He meets their needs. He nourishes them. He, compare, he, he cares for them. He shows compassion and humility. He's very practical in his care. And that's the God that Paul is talking about. That's the God that the children of Israel should have known. And it's the God who wants to be known by each of us. I mean, in retrospect, in history, we clearly see the hand of God at work. But we also see the heart of God displaying love and compassion and patience for his people. And so as Paul motions with his hands and tries to draw in all who are listening today, let his message also draw us in because there's a warning he added to them, take care that what the prophets has said does not happen to you. Be aware that you have a choice in how you're going to hear the message. The story of God has shown that he works for his people. The parting of the Red Sea, the plagues on Egypt, the manna. How are you going to respond to this hand of God working and the heart of God displaying his love? Here's what the prophet said. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Don't miss it. I'm going to do something in your day that you would never believe. That's the point. The unbelievable. I don't know who believed that day. But I hope you believe this day. Because a belief in the unbelievable calls us to action. What are we going to do with the faith and in response to what God has done? I hope that it will, you will allow it, to let it to allow it to inspire your heart to action. As you reflect on what God has done in the past, I hope you will include your history as well. You reflect on what God has been doing in your life. And then consider those prophetic words. 
and respond to that unshakable love of God. And let faith be your guide. Trust in the divine hand and heart of God to do what you can't even imagine, what seems impossible, improbable. And let faith be your guide. And then like Paul and Barnabas, when you have that opportunity, you stand up and share with others around you. Speak of that unbelievable love and grace of God and invite others to consider coming to a faith in that love. And then put that faith into action. Extend God's kindness, grace, and compassion and love to those around you. Be a living testament to that unbelievable love. Unbelievable. I guess the question is, would you believe? Do you believe? In this series of Measurably More, we are constantly reminded that our faith leads us to something greater, something beyond all that we can expect. And when we leave here today, I hope we'll leave with hearts filled with faith in the unbelievable, ready to embrace the immeasurably more that God has in store for each one of us. I think that was Paul's message then, and I think that's God's message today. And so, together with one voice again, why don't we just say this prayer? Next slide, yeah. Together. God, help us dare to imagine what you can do and give us the faith to see. Yeah. In just a moment, we're going to offer an invitation. The song we're actually, Matt's going to lead us in is God Will Make a Way. With love and strength for each new day, God will make a way. And as we, you sing it, I hope you reflect on God's message today. Friend, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, I, the good news was just shared with you. Jesus died so that we could be right. The wrong that made us imperfect can be washed away and be justified with God. And that happens when those sins are washed away in the waters of baptism. If you've never been baptized and you've studied and you believe, won't you consider doing that today? Some of us have just been wondering. We're in the wilderness. God is still showing his love, care, and compassion for each of us. Maybe today is the day you want to be restored. We have a couple of shepherds and their wives that are going to be in the parlor, a room just right back here. If you're here today, even if you're a guest, and you would love to have them pray with you and for you, feel free to go to that room. It's a, it's a, it can be a very special and intimate time where they can share and talk. With, you can share with them, and they can visit with you and pray for you. But we'd also invite you to respond publicly. If you need to do so, why don't you come right now as we stand together and sing.